0: Welcome to Russian History Retold. Episode 195 Boris Pasternak. Boris Leonidovich Pasternak was born on February 10th, 1890 in Moscow to an affluent Jewish family. His father Leonid Pasternak was a post-Impressionist painter and professor at the Moscow School of Painting, Sculpture, and Architecture. Boris's mother, Rosalia Kaufman, was a well-known pianist. They both guided him around the world of famous writers, musicians, and artists. A close family friend, the musical composer Alexander Skryabin, had a significant influence on the young Pasternak as well. As a boy, he was baptized into the Russian Orthodox Church, but shortly after that, he became what is known as a Tolstoyan Christian. His father had become the illustrator for many of Tolstoy's books. Others who would pass through the Pasternak home included Sergei Rachmaninoff, Lev Shestov, and Rainier Maria Rilke. Imagine having such a cultural and intellectual beginning to life. At first, Boris thought that he would go into music, no doubt influenced by Scriabin and Rachmaninoff. A few years into his education, he decided that musical life was not to be, so he decided to head off to the University of Marburg, Germany to study philosophy. After four months there and a trip to Italy, he returned to Russia and decided to dedicate himself to literature. We are all much richer and luckier, that he made that decision. Before the Russian Revolution, Pasternak entered the Holy Dormition Porchayeva Lavra and roomed with Peter Minkachevich, who would become part of the character in Dr. Zhvago known as Strelnikov. Many of the people in the book were composites of others Pasternak would meet throughout the years. Minkachevich would leave Russia after the revolution, while Pasternak even knowing he might be a target of the Bolsheviks, decided to stay in Russia. The publications of his writings begin post-Revolution in 1921 with Moyajin or My Sister, life. It would revolutionize Russian poetry. It was followed by Themes and Variations in 1923, The Childhood of Louvers in 1924, Along with the sublime malady, which is based on his recollection of the 1905 revolution. After that, he had a series of four short stories published known as Aerial Ways. In 1927, Pasternak returned to the revolution of 1905, something he would go to time and time again as a subject for two long works a poem expressing sorrow for the fate of Lieutenant Schmidt. The Leader of the Mutiny at Sevastopol, and The Year 1905, a powerful poem which concentrates on the events related to the revolution. Pasternak's autobiography, Safe Conduct, appeared in 1931 and was followed the next year by a collection of lyrics, known as Second Birth, in 1932. Three years later, he published translations of some Georgian poets and then translated the major dramas of Shakespeare, several works of Goethe, Schiller, Kleist, and Ben Jonson, and poems by Petofi, Verlaine, Swinburne, Shelley, and many others. Pasternak's translation of Shakespeare into Russian, without losing the beauty of the prose, was a monumental accomplishment. His works also likely saved his life during Stalin's reign. As Orlando Figes puts it in his book, Natasha's Dance, A Cultural History of Russia, quote, Pasternak's Russian translations of Shakespeare are works of real artistic beauty, if not entirely true to the original. He was Stalin's favorite poet, far too precious to arrest. His love of Georgia and translations of Georgian poetry endeared him to the Soviet leader. Lucky for us that Stalin liked him, as he was to go on to produce more outstanding works. In Early Trains, a collection of poems written since 1936 and published in 1943, was enlarged and reissued in 1945 as Wide Spaces of the Earth. Then, his most monumental work was to come out in 1957, Dr. Zhivago, Pasternak's only real novel, It was a book that was not viewed with pleasure by the Soviet authorities when it was sent to Novy Mir for publication. It was soundly rejected, and Pasternak was heavily criticized. We need to step back and look at Pasternak's relationships with the Bolsheviks and the Communist Party over the years. When the 1917 Russian Revolution overthrew the old regimes, Boris believed that a new age would dawn for Russia. He was an idealist at the time, and sincerely thought that things were going to change for the better. According to the British lecturer and translator of Russian literature, Max Hayward, quote, Pasternak remained in Moscow throughout the Civil War, 1918-1920, to 1920, making no attempt to escape abroad or to the white-occupied South, as many other Russian writers did at the time. No doubt, like Yuri Zhivago, He was momentarily impressed by the splendid surgery of the Bolshevik seizure of power in October 1917, but, again to judge by the evidence of the novel, and despite a personal admiration for Vladimir Lenin, whom he saw at the Ninth Congress of Soviets in 1921, he soon began to harbor profound doubts about the claims and credentials of the regime, not to mention its style of rule. The terrible shortages of food and fuel and the depredations of the Red Terror made life very precarious in those years, particularly for the bourgeois intelligentsia. In a letter written to Pasternak from abroad in the 20s, Marina Tsetsevia reminded him of how she had run into him in the street in 1919 as he was on the way to sell some valuable books from his library in order to buy bread. He continued to write original work and to translate, but after about the middle of 1918, it became almost impossible to publish. The only way to make one's work known was to reclaim it in the several literary cafes which then sprung up, or, anticipating Samizdat, to circulate it in a manuscript. It was in this way that my sister life first became available to a wider audience. Over the coming years, Pasternak would become more and more disillusioned by the Soviet leaders, especially Stalin. When the Great Purges began in 1937, Boris was asked by the Union of Soviet Writers to add his name to a statement supporting the death penalty for the defendant that was on trial. Pasternak refused, even though almost all of his colleagues did, for the fear for their life. Boris knew that he was going to get arrested Unlikely executed. What probably saved his life was all of the verses praising Stalin that he had published in the early 1930s. The Soviet leader crossed Pasternak's name off of the list of the condemned and commented, according to legend, one of these two phrases one, do not touch this cloud dweller, or leave that holy fool alone. Pasternak felt guilty for the rest of his life that he was spared, but others like his friend Osip Mandelstam would not be so lucky. He, along with many other writers, artists, and musicians, would lose their lives during the Great Purge, some for no reason whatsoever. Boris would produce very little literature during the coming years. With the onset of World War II, Pasternak was to serve as a fire warden, helping to save countless buildings from the Nazi air assault on Moscow. He would also travel to the front to read poetry to the soldiers and help brighten up their lives. With the end of the war, Pasternak and many fellow Soviet citizens hoped that their lives would improve and that things might return to normal. But that was not to be the case. They saw how many of their soldiers who returned home were not returned to where they first came from after being liberated from German prisoner of war camps, but instead they were sent to the gulags in Siberia. The doctor's plot in the Leningrad Affair showed that the great purges were not a thing of the past, but a sign of things to come. Pasternak wrote, If, in a bad dream, We had seen all the horrors in store for us after the war. We should not have been sorry to see Stalin fall together with Hitler. Then, an end to the war in favor of our allies. Civilized countries with democratic traditions would have meant a hundred times less suffering for our people than that which Stalin again inflicted on it after his victory. What saved them all, though, was the 1953 death of Stalin. By this time, Pasternak was done with the Soviet system, and especially the leadership. He went headlong into finishing Dr. Zhivago, which he incidentally began writing in the 1920s and 30s. This sweeping tale which starts with the revolution through the Civil War would be the epic that would make him known forever. Orlando Feige shares his beautiful description of Pasternak's work and his mindset while finishing it up. After all his optimism in the war, Pasternak was crushed by the return to the old regime of cruelty and lies. He withdrew from the public scene and worked on what he now regarded as his final message to the world, his great novel, Dr. Zhivago. Set amidst the horrific chaos of the Russian Revolution and the Civil War, it's no coincidence that the novel's central theme is the importance of preserving the old intelligentsia represented by Zhivago. In many ways, the hero's younger brother, the strange figure called Evgraf, who who has some influence with the revolutionaries and often helps his brother out of dire straits by making calls to the right people, is the very type of savior figure that Pasternak himself would have liked to have been. Pasternak regarded the novel as his greatest work, much more important than his poetry, his testament in prose, and he was determined that it should be read by the widest possible audience. His decision to publish it abroad, after it was delayed and then turned down by the journal Novia Mir, was his final act of rebellion against the bullying of the Soviet regime. Published first in Italy in 1957, Dr. Zhivago would help Boris Pasternak win the Nobel Prize for Literature, much to the chagrin of the Soviet hierarchy. While he won the award, Pasternak was not allowed to leave the country to accept it. When his name came into consideration by the Nobel Prize Committee, it was not for the first time. In actuality, his name came up pretty much every year from about 1940 on. When he won the award in 1958... The Soviet response was harsh. The Literary Gazette said this, quote, The decadent religious poetry of Pasternak, which reeks of mothballs from the symbolist suitcase of 1908 to 1910 manufacture. He would receive hate mail from fellow citizens, even though none of them read the book. As one joke went, quote, I've not read Pasternak, but I condemn him. While doing my research on Pasternak's Nobel Prize winner, I I came up with something very curious. There is a contention that his victory wasn't just merely because of his vast body of work, but that the American CIA was behind the push to acknowledge him. Now, this had been bandied about for many years. I mean, it was part of the Cold War, and there was really no proof of that. Until... April 11, 2014, when the U.S. CIA released, quote, nearly 100 declassified documents. And they confirmed that it had, in fact, undertaken a massive propaganda campaign to influence the Nobel Prize Committee to consider Zhivago for the award, starting as early as December 12, 1957. Quote, Dr. Zhivago should be published in a maximum number of foreign editions for maximum free world discussion and acclaim and consideration for such honor as the Nobel Prize. This should in no way take away from Pasternak's life and work, but such was the ways of the world during the Cold War. Forced to reject the award on threat of deportation, Pasternak wrote to the Nobel Prize Committee this, In view of the meaning given the award by the society in which I live, I must renounce this undeserved distinction which has been conferred on me. Please do not take my voluntary renunciation amiss. They responded by saying, this refusal, of course, in no way alters the validity of the award. There remains only for the Academy, however, to announce with regret that the presentation of the prize cannot take place. In December 1989, Evgeny Borisovich Pasternak was allowed to receive the Nobel Prize in his father's name. And in irony, today, Dr. Zhivago is required reading in Russia since 2003 in the 11th grade. My, how the times have changed. The pressure of the award and the subsequent harassment of Boris Pasternak greatly affected his health. He would die on May thirtieth, 1960, of lung cancer. Pasternak would receive his last rites by a priest of the Russian Orthodox Church. Shortly after his death, a Russian Orthodox Funeral liturgy, liturgy, or Panahida, was offered in the family's dacha. It was kept a secret from the authorities, for obvious reasons. Before we leave Boris Pasternak, I'd like to read, in English of course, his last poem. How I remember solstice days through many winters long completed, each unrepeatable, unique, and each one countless times repeated. Of all these days, these only days, when one rejoiced in the impression that time had stopped, there grew in years an unforgettable succession. Each one of them I can evoke The year is to midwinter moving The roofs are dripping Roads are soaked And on the ice the sun is brooding Then lovers hastily are drawn To one another, vague and dreaming And in the heat upon a tree The sweating nesting boxes steaming And sleepy clock hands lays away The clock face wearily ascending eternal endless is the day and the embrace is never ending well i hope you enjoyed today's episode next time in the kind of the next two episodes i'm going to do one segment on things you didn't know about the soviet union and then the next one will be things you didn't know about russia some of you may have remembered some of them from the past few hundred podcast episodes And some are really new. I mean, there was a couple of them that I just had to laugh about because they were quite uh, humorous and interesting. So uh, hopefully we can do that in the next few weeks. Uh, I will be taking a short vacation in May. I'm going to Italy to visit my daughter, who's an exchange student, and we haven't seen her since September when she went there. Uh, She's 16 years old, so it's kind of hard on the family, especially the wife. Um, But we will be posting episodes before and after I get back, so it'll be around between May uh, 9th and the twentieth. So uh, join me next time when we do that, and after that we're going to be going back to Ivan Grozny, Ivan the Terrible, and talk about one of the most controversial Russian czars of all time. So until then, досвидания <coughs> and спасибо Bolshoya.